Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Laura Mendoza from the Resurrection Project and Denise Yvette Serna, who is hosting a reading of the play Just Like Us. Yay! Hello! (laughs) Thank you so much for coming. We are thrilled to have both of you here. Um, I would love, first of all, for the two of you to just take a moment and explain, um, Laura, we'd love to hear about the Resurrection Project, and also, Denise, we would love to hear more about this play. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go first. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm Denise Serna. I'm a theater practitioner, a director, an arts activist in Chicago, and we are hosting a reading of Just Like Us by Karen Zacarias, and that is on Saturday. The reading starts at 5 p.m. at the observatory. And the play is based on a book by Helen Thorpe. The book is called Just Like Us, the true story of four Mexican girls coming of age in America. And it follows four high school girls in Denver, two of whom are documented and two of whom are undocumented. And it sees their path through high school graduation into undergraduate and the way that their um, immigration status or documentation status affects their opportunities and the way that they interact with one another and the world. And um, in the fall, Karen Zacarias, the playwright, posted on Facebook that she really wanted people to be having conversations about DACA recipients and dreamers and what it means for those young people to have access to those resources. And she said that anybody that wanted to do a reading of her play could do so for free if they did it to bring awareness to this to this cause. And so I contacted her and got a copy of the script. Um, and we're really excited to be bringing a lot of uh, talented Latinx artists into the space, along with community organizations like the Resurrection Project, to be together and to listen to one another, and then to learn about ways that we can be active in our community, supporting our neighbors in these times that are uncertain. Yeah. Wow. wow. Fantastic. Laura, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the Resurrection Project? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So again, my name is Laura Mendoza. Um, I'm an immigration organizer with the Resurrection Project. Um, the Resurrection Project is a community organization that has been in Chicago for about 28 years. Um, and so we do a lot of work around the neighborhoods of Pilsen, Little Village, and Back of the Yards. Um, and one of our focuses um, is immigration. And so we do have immigration legal services available for people. But we also know how important it is to have our communities be involved in things that are that, that um, they are being affected by. And so um, what I'm in charge of is called the Legal Protection Fund. Um, and so what we do is we go out and we give information around um, what's currently happening with all the changes happening um, in the policy and in immigration. Um, we give trainings on what to do if you have an interaction with the police or with immigration, um, and then how to get connected to the various resources that are available in the city of Chicago. Um, and all of this we do with community navigators. And so they are community members. Most of them are women. Um, most of them are women who are immigrants themselves. Um, and that's how we've been able to reach um, around 20,000 people last year. Um, it's nine different community organizations that are part of this legal protection fund. Um, and so that, that has been our focus and that has been kind of like our strategy to protect our communities in light of um, the administration that we currently have. Wow. I, yeah, we're like both, we're so thrilled to have both of you. Um, 
so I'm I'm wondering, uh, Laura. I know um, we you were talking a little bit about how you got involved with the Resurrection Project before we recorded. I'm wondering if you could kind of. I'm wondering if you could tell us, yeah, a little bit how you got started with the Resurrection Project. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I actually, I so I went to university. Um, at a university, I studied social work. So I've always done work around like social justice. Um, and I was working specifically with refugees. Um, and then, you know, I did that for a couple of years. And as the, um, as it became apparent that Trump, you know, was going to run for office and then that he was going to be our president, um, I really started to reflect on what I wanted to do um, and the fact that I had not worked directly on an issue that impacted me directly, right? So I'm a DACA recipient myself um, and just hearing all this rhetoric around like Mm anti-immigrants, right? Like thinking about what was to come um, I really thought I I felt really powerless, um, essentially, because I didn't know what I could actually do um, if, you know, Trump was going to be president. Like, what could I actually do? And um, I had actually been a volunteer with the Resurrection Project for like two years, helping on like citizenship workshops, DACA workshops, just filling out applications for people. Um, and so then the opportunity to be to actually be employed by the Resurrection Project came about because the city of Chicago decided to start the Legal Protection Fund um, to make sure that they were protecting the undocumented community in light of the new um, administration. And so I jumped on board because I wanted to to be involved. I wanted to protect not only myself, but my community members. Um, and so that that's a little bit about how I got involved. Wow. So for those, for those listening who aren't <clears throat> unsure of like specifically what DACA is. Would you mind explaining a little bit about that program? No, absolutely. Um, so what it was, it was back in 2012, um, President Obama signed an executive action um, saying that um, there were there were a list of things that you needed to fulfill, but essentially for people who came in before the age of 16, um, they would be able to be protected. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's essentially a protection from deportation, right? So the government said, if you come forward, you give us your information, we will make sure that you are not a priority, that you will not deport it, right? If you don't have a crim- any criminal background history, you won't be deported. Um, and in exchange, you will get a social security number and a work permit. And you will have to renew that every two years um, and you will have to stay out of trouble with the law. And so that's what it that's what it is to this date. Still, it is just this protection from deportation, this ability to legally work in the U.S. um, And it's renewable for two years. Um, There's a lot going on right now with the Supreme Court, um, sorry, with the courts um, and with the fact that Trump decided that he wanted to rescind the program. Um, So there's a lot of uncertainty as to what's actually going to happen and when people's permits are going to start expiring um and the sad part is once that happens like once your um your permit expires for most DACA recipients they're not going to have another um way of adjusting their status um because DACA did not offer that path to citizenship it was just like this two-year program that you kept renewing very similar to like temporary protective status or TPS Mm -hmm. And to give you a scope of the community that is affected by this, since it's uh, since it was first introduced, over eight hundred thousand young Americans have benefited from DACA. Yeah, and here in Illinois, it's around forty-two thousand. Wow. Yes, mm-hmm. we are the third um, highest state. 
Mm-hmm. After, California after California and Texas. Yeah. That is like super not surprising to me, actually. Um, the I have a question. Um, uh, my question is specifically about community-based social work. Um, is something that's super interesting to me because I think that a lot of, especially um, institutionalized arts organizations, try to do... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's like a buzzword that we like accessibility projects Mm -hmm. where they um it's like community outrage based projects um but i think that uh and and for good reason and for obvious reason um what actual community-based organizing and social work has really um done in spades is recognize that what needs to happen on an administrative level um is having people that are that are part of that community and that is something that um it sounds like the resurrection project is is very important to um to y'all and also it seems like directly to to your life and to your experience that's very relevant so i'm wondering if you could could speak to that and just kind of like the importance of of organizing within a community rather than uh like an external force coming into a community um yeah i mean the the so the 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 history of the resurrection project is that um in pilsen right um back 28 years ago, there was a lot of issues around like drug addictions, around housing. Um, the city wasn't giving that neighborhood enough services, so things were deteriorating. And so what ended up happening is three churches came together, mm. right? They organized um, the parishioners. And so um, they they organized the parishioners. They, um, f- they were able to raise like $10,000 and that's how it kind of like started. It was by organizing those parishioners that were mainly Mexican, that were mainly immigrants. Um, and so the objective has always been to to make sure that our community members are part of what we do. Mm-hmm. right? And then we're listening to what they need um, and that we're acting accordingly. Right. One of the things that we. Um, that we do at the Resurrection Project is we actually do development. Right. Which I think for a lot of organizations, it's like development in Pilsen like what is that like no you're you know you're gonna displace your own community members and um we we do development because we believe that um we have to be part of that conversation right we have to be part of um that ownership of of infrastructure that's in the neighborhood and so we have around like 600 units available um to rent and we are we get very creative in terms of our funding and how we're able to uh, make these things happen because around 50 percent of our units are accessible for people who are undocumented um when we're talking about like development and low-income housing a lot of the times it excludes um people who are undocumented because of where the money's coming from Mm -hmm. so um from our inception it has always been very important to make sure that we are in the community that we are listening to um, our community members and we are addressing the issues that we see i think that's so i think that's so smart um just because in a city like chicago that is constantly you know in in these in these large cities like new york and los angeles and chicago that are constantly changing they're constantly growing um to have an organization with the betterment of a community in mind who kind of are working to beat developers to the punch i think is so so smart because otherwise i mean honestly in my mind communities are going to be developed it's it's an inevitability and so 
Yeah. Well, and we've talked about we've talked about development without displacement on the on the podcast before. We've had a couple guests that have talked about it, and I guess kind of my my curiosity for you working in it directly. Um, how do you spot that? How do you how do you know what to support development without displacement? I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, how, yeah. like is there is there is there a thought process or that of that, or is it so new that not new, but you know what I mean? Like, under under uh, examined? No, uh, not under examined. Uh, I don't know. I feel very. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I don't, I don't necessarily work like in that department, right? Sure. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a little bit hard for me to like directly speak um, about it. But I mean, we at the end of the day, we want to create like healthy communities, sure. right? And so that starts with not only um, the the organization, like you know, owning the buildings and being able to rent out, um, but also making sure that our community members are able to purchase homes mm-hmm. or are financially stable to do that, mm-hmm. um, that they are going to school and that they are getting like a, um, their their university degrees and things like that, right? So that's that's been kind of like just our our point of view has been just supporting them in creating just like a healthy individual right um that kind of looks outside of kind of like the basic needs right so a lot of organizations that are coming in that are external forces are looking at like the basic needs right Mm -hmm. so food um you know that feeling of safety things like that and we we want to work with those organizations, but we also are ready to look at, you know, that stability of like people buying their own home or people finishing their mm-hmm. their bachelor's or their master's degree. So we work like in tandem with other organizations wow. that could do that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I think is really interesting is that, you know, a majority of DACA recipients are under 25, like two thirds of them. And a lot of them are women. And so you have these these vulnerable communities of people of color and then slice it down, vulnerable communities of women. Um, and this play that we're doing a reading of is about four young women. And they're the only sort of guys you see in the play are the fathers and the boyfriends that come through. But it's not about them. It's about the young women. How would you describe the, the way you're... DACA recipients and dreamers moving through the world as women are affected by what's going on under the current administration? Um, well, in, in terms of like the work that we're doing, in terms of the organizing, if mm-hmm. you look a lot, um, if you look at the organizers um, that are part of this movement, a lot of them are women. Yeah. Um, a lot of them are affected by their DACA recipients themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's, it's I mean, it's it's really difficult, I think. Um, in general, when you're a DACA recipient, that usually means your parents are undocumented, right? So that means that there's like this additional burden of like not only supporting yourself, but you're also now thinking about your parents who are probably aging at this point, right? Um, and traditionally in like a Mexican, like I'm Mexican, right? So in, in a Mexican kind of culture, it kind of falls on like the women to take care of their parents, yeah. right? Yeah. So you have like, you have to take care of yourself. Um, you have this um, inestability right you don't know what's going to happen and then on top of that you're taking care of like other family members mm-hmm. so it's definitely um a lot that that women are are taking on um not only personally but also in trying to find some sort of solution right and mm-hmm. continuing to push for the dream act or from some other legislation that would allow for a path to citizenship mm-hmm. it blows my mind that and you know this this is obviously an example of 
my my privilege is that I I had no idea that DACA recipients because I in in high school in like whatever minimal like you know public policy education were given in high school like in my mind I'm always like oh yeah after five years of being here you can be as you can apply for citizenship and the thought of like not you know spending like you know in some cases like eight years in a country and you know being a part of this program and you know contribute in part of it being having a work permit and you know being a part of the workforce and doing amazing like the fact that you're mm-hmm. a dreamer and the fact that you are so like incredibly contributing to our society and making our city a better place and helping those who need you know who maybe can help themselves but also just need an, another leg up mm-hmm. and like that that it's it's a that there's like a a bar there not allowing you citizenship it's just mm-hmm. like it i don't it's it just blows my mind yeah i mean immigration law is very complicated mm-hmm. um yeah it, it's just it's very complicated um, and I will say on on the whole, like how long DACA recipients have been here in the U.S., we're talking about like 20 years, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We're not talking about yeah. eight years. Yeah, it's like yeah. five um, years old, four years yeah. old that came yeah. over. Yeah. yeah. So for myself, um, I've been in the U.S. for 22 years now. Mm-hmm. Wow. Right. So, yeah. And there's there's just no path because you know, people talk about like the immigration system is broken. And obviously it depends on like your values and beliefs mm-hmm. on, on how you look at that. Um, for me, it's about the fact that there is just no path for there's 11 million undocumented people in the U.S. And there's 11 million undocumented people um, that are not able to adjust their status. Right. It's not you don't choose to be undocumented. Right. Like this is not something that you're going to say like, oh, I just don't want to do the paperwork right just essentially what kelly at some point said like mm-hmm. DACA recipients aren't coming forward because they're lazy um there's so much fear there's so much misunderstanding right we're lucky enough that we're in chicago where we have resources i think about like other states um i was talking with somebody from atlanta actually yesterday and they're like still trying to figure out how to assist like their immigrant community there because they just like don't have the infrastructure that we have here i mean that's something that like we talked with with um alicia magana uh, when we had her on to talk about her documentary was um like that how painful uh how um what's the looking for not painful how damaging the idea of like the dreamer stereotype is you know the way that we've like the laws are extremely complex in a lot of cases they are like not like i, I don't know like i think that when you hear as a white person when you hear dreamer you think like oh yeah they're like younger than 18 like just hoping you know just and it's like no these are people like these are real people mm-hmm. that like work like it's not it's not um I, I don't know like it's not trivial like it's it's yeah it's 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 people who have gone to med school and are in their residencies right. at hospitals who are going to do great freaking work for the world who may or may not be able to stay in the country they've lived in their whole lives like it's it's people who are contributing it's not i feel like it's really easy to be like, oh, the immigrants, you know, like I have yeah. this idea of this person who's um, like a like a like working class or this person who's a criminal or this person who like is a waiter. And it's like, no, like we're, there's there's it's a diverse 
community of people who are contributing to the United States as much as any random white person from Evanston. And I, I, feel, I feel like in a lot of ways, like the dreamer stereotype implies that that person isn't born here or doesn't have mm-hmm. a right to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, like that the idea of it being a dream means that it's not something that is actually tangible. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that in a lot of ways that like the law is one thing, but the way that the political conversation has been shifted is is so much like not actually providing like a logistical like this is actually just like these people were born here like let's let's get them citizenship it's it's like it's still othering it's Mm. still part of like building up these stereotypes Mm. um i i know the the question i I have for you as an art maker because i know that's something that like we think about a lot is like how do you unpack these things? Like, th- is that is it through art? Like, do you do you find that that's something that that you're in the work that you're doing that that's something you think about, or or how do you? It's something that I think about a lot, um, and I haven't done work specifically around um, immigration mm-hmm. um, in my in my past, and like DACA, you know, specifically referring to childhood arrivals. That's so specific, and where I grew up, I grew up in South Texas. And it, we lived right on the border. A lot of the people that I grew up with were undocumented, and we were all in school together. A lot of them got better grades than I did, you know. Um, it w- it was just a part of our community, and there, you know, there's there were people who would drive every day from Mexico to San Juan to go to school, and maybe three or four families would share one address so that they could you know, be in the school district and that was the address that they all lived at, but they all lived in Mexico and they would come over and, and, and we would be in class together. And so it wasn't ever like they were people that were different from me. Um, and I, as you know, as a person, I was born in Texas. My family's born in Texas. My parents were born in Texas. So like I am a documented citizen. I'm an American citizen, but when you're growing up and you're playing with people, you're not thinking about your paperwork. You're thinking about the people that you're growing up with and the people that you're falling in love with and who you're going on adventures with. And, and as I've grown up and developed my artistic practice, I have tried to, to tell stories about Latinx women. Um, I had like a, like a big project about, uh, La Llorona and what it means for like women not to be able to tell their own stories. Um, and, and what it means for people to tell your stories for you. And I moving to Chicago, I was for the first time around more artists that were Latinx because I sort of left Texas when I was 18, went and moved in white circles for a decade. And then in Chicago, all of a sudden found all these artists who are making incredible work. And so I'm really learning from them, from Teatro Vista, from Teatro Luna, from people like Sandra Delgado and Sandra Marquez and like the work that they're doing in this city and the way that they're activating their communities and not only being... um, incredibly fucking talented because they're incredibly talented not only that but also being really intelligent compassionate people who activate communities around them that are different from them um so that excites me and and as the world gets darker and who knows what will happen in the future of this country like i'm so fortunate to have learned to move in white spaces as easily as I move in Tejano spaces and in Mexican spaces, whatever you want to call it. And, and so I can be that 
that translator. I can be that conduit between these two worlds and be be eloquent enough for for these people and like be down with with the people who are like me and that that's what's exciting about this to me to be able to make that work. That's yeah. Um, I'm curious um, at this reading. Yeah. So it's so it's a reading and it's also a discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I can't at at the moment because. Um, for to put a timestamp on this it's holy week and daniel and i both work in a church and so my brain is very fuzzy because i'm tired (laughs) but i can't remember yet if you've talked about the different organizations who are going to be present at this reading yes so there will be three organizations who are going to be present they'll have tables with information um and then they'll have a chance to talk to people about the work that they do in the community and furthermore, opportunities for people to be involved, whether that's here are ways that you can donate to our work, here are ways that you can volunteer, here are um, petitions you can sign and, and legislators you can call to further this work. So I really want people to be able to have access to that um, active engagement with this, co- with this conversation. So the other ones that are going to be with us are the Pilsen Alliance um, and uh, I'll give you their website later. And also, um, Mujeres Latinas en Nación. And them I'm really excited about. So they've been around since the early 70s. So they're the longest standing incorporated Latina organization in the, nat- in the nation. And over the years, they've developed a comprehensive collection of social services and advocacy and in advocacy initiatives that promote nonviolence and leadership development. And they've got a domestic violence program. They've got a children's therapy program. They've got a sexual assault program. They've got a parent support program, Latina leadership program, family engagement programs. And all of this work is going to empowering Latinas in this city and, you know, giving them the resources that are taken for granted by, you know, you know, if you're, well, I, I keep I keep saying Evanston, so I'm not gonna say Evanston. But like, if you're like a affluent white person from the in suburbs, Niles. yeah, in Niles, yeah, Niles, we're coming for you. Um, <laughs> you know, like you might take for granted um, these resources because you're not even considering not having them. Right. And then for this organization to be around for over 30 years, um, creating this space for women, and not just like here's a thing for you now go. It's like here's a thing for you activate it empower yourself and be a leader i think that's really exciting so i'm excited for those two organizations and the resurrection project to be in the space again as someone who is a latina um but is not an immigrant it's really important for me for those voices to be represented in that space laura i'm interested so at at this reading you know there are going to be you know opportunities presented to volunteer but for those who are you know, who are listening today, how, how can people help the resurrection project? Yeah. So I think it's always great when people want to volunteer, right? Sometimes we have way too many volunteers, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, but so we really want people to engage, um, and to engage in voting, right? We have for Illinois, we have elections coming up. Um, we're looking uh, to elect our new governor, right? And so like really being engaged in this process, of like who is going to be our new uh, governor or like what do they believe in and like really analyzing your own values and what you stand for and then what these candidates um, could potentially do for those things right so if you're saying you're an ally um, of immigrants you really have to think about what are some of um, the things that, that these candidates stand for that could potentially um, really have detrimental 
um, kind of consequences for the immigrant community, right? So in Chicago, we are, we have, you know, some great laws, but we can always make them stronger and we could always make them across like the board so that it's not just Chicago, right? So that we um, are able to protect um, all the residents in Illinois. So I think voting and being engaged, being civically engaged is one of the biggest things that you could do um, that I, I do find sometimes, right? People take for granted. Um, we have a group of, of students that actually are undocumented that did a drive and were teaching um, their fellow you know, classmates how to vote, right? Because you don't think about that sometimes. Like you have this, right? You have this ability to do it. And so you just don't think about it. Um, and as somebody who doesn't have that, right? And who is affected by um, all the decisions that are made, right? Like I think about it constantly. And so being engaged civically is one of the biggest things you could do. Um, I, you know, we, we are also, um, we also accept donations. I think um, legal resources are very expensive. Lo- immigration lawyers can be very expensive. Um, you're talking about like thousands of dollars. Um, we've had people, DACA recipients actually, who have done their cases um, through a lawyer. They were charged like a thousand dollars for their case right on top of the 495 dollar fee that you have to send to immigration um so you're looking at around a thousand five hundred dollars just to get this ability to work for two years right um so we do take donations um and that helps us cover the fee for the 495 dollars um that also helps us cover the fee for our immigration services um, and we charge a really low fee um so to do a daca renewal application with us that's 50 dollars Right. So you're, you're talking about like $1,000 to $50. So we really want to make sure that um, money is not an obstacle for people. Right. Um, especially for, for DACA recipients that like didn't, that weren't um, anticipating having to make, um, to, to have to spend that money. And then a lot of them are in school. Right. So they're like worrying about paying for, for classes, for books. And now you have like this additional um, money that you're going to have to pay. So um, we have our a website it's called DACAfund.org um, where people can donate if they want to sponsor um, a DACA recipient. You probably did not notice this if you're listening, but we had to take a quick break for heater shenanigans if you're familiar with the show. So we're back. Uh, and you, I know that you were just talking about something that um, we want to talk about kind of next. Yes. Um, so we were just talking about the work that Resurrection Project does to offer legal services to um, undocumented people in the city and how easy it is to name things and to name an amount and let people know really specifically how they can be active. So Laura, if we wanted to give um, the listeners a, a charge, a directive of an amount that we could raise to help a DACA recipient, how much would that be? Yeah, so the cost of the application is $495. Um, and so that's that's what they would need to send into immigration. So if we're looking to kind of like divide it amongst people right um i think you came up with the amount of yeah so if we could get 50 people who are listening to this podcast to donate ten dollars to the resurrection project we would be able to aid a person in filling out that application and sending it to immigration so i i I charge you uh scoppy radio listeners (laughs) um do some good for your community help out your neighbors we're all here together and we're all sort of making it happen in this country so uh give a little get a little i think that'd be great yeah i mean and 495 dollars. i mean that's like that's rent 
Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's that's n- not nothing for an, an individual to raise, and mm-hmm. so like it it takes a village. So mm-hmm. like let's be that village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I this that's great. And I another thing that I really think I want to kind of ask about is something that I know that is crucial is like a big part of Scopy's mission, which is the idea of the artistic and the political. And this is very this project is very much that. And so I'm kind of curious for both of y'all, especially in relationship to um, this project. Um, kind of how do the artistic and the political feed off of each other? Mm -hmm. Um, And in what ways is that something that you feel in this project? Mm -hmm. I think if we look back through history, the people that are feared are the artists, Mm -hmm. right? When the revolution comes around, who's telling the truth? It's the artists. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, I think that the next few years are going to, we talked about this last time that I was here, the next few years are going to be like a freaking incredible explosion of art from people who are are finally speaking out against mm-hmm. the injustices that are happening in our country. And there's like this freaking power of like black and brown people who are seeing themselves represented in media and in art who are like, oh, Right, I could tell my story too. You want to hear? Here we go. Um, so I think that's really exciting. And I think just uh, us speaking and moving through this world and being confident and being successful is a political act. Um, the fact that like I can go and sit in a room with my white coworkers and be a peer is a, is a political act. And that's exciting to me. So what's the thing I know how to do? I know how to art. So if I'm going to politically <laughs> engage, then that's the way that I'm going to do it. And I'm going to bring intelligent, talented people along with me who can open the eyes of the people around us. Because it doesn't mean anything if I'm performing it to a mirror. It doesn't mean anything if I'm just like, let me be in this room of like queer 20-somethings who hate Donald Trump. Like that doesn't move the world forward. It makes me feel good, but it doesn't move the world <laughs> forward. So like how can I like break that mirror and make it a window and just like get everybody looking in and get everybody talking about these things that are affecting us in this world. That's super- really, I got really... No. <laughs> All the passion. Well, because I, I think, like, that's something that I've been thinking about a lot as an ally lately is the idea of when something is performative. You know, I think when some, when you're when you're using the political to fuel your artistic goals, but it's in an echo chamber, mm-hmm. like, who is that for? Mm-hmm. Like, that's for you to seem cool amongst your, like, yeah. white friends. Like, why yeah. are you doing that? Yeah. Like, and I think that's that's something that, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I know when, I, when, when Trump was first elected, we were like, oh, wow, the art that's going to be made. But, like, the how problematic is that, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that is maybe, like, that, and I don't know, I'm a white person here, so right into the show if I'm being... Um, um, insensitive but like that maybe that's the line of like if you're not as long as it's not for like you know a group of white people to be like oh look how progressive we are you know if it's actually affecting change like finding that that bar of being like this is actually how the art making that you're doing that's being fueled by the the political climate that is terrible that mm-hmm. is um, you know people's lives are at stake um, like how is it how can it actually affect change mm-hmm. is I think super important. Yeah, and, and sort of sort of something that I said earlier that I'll say again and I say this to my fellow artists who might be listening to this, it's not enough to be angry. You have to be active. Mm-hmm. And and this weekend is a really great opportunity for you to come and learn about ways that you can be active, that you can actually take part in changing the world. Um, mm-hmm. especially by helping out and participating in organizations like the resurrection project 
Um, what I would love, um, just because, you know, in, in keeping with this theme of like giving this issue a face, I would, I would love to hear, first of all, Laura, uh, I would love to hear kind of like your story and your experience being a DACA recipient. And then also what I would love to hear is kind of like a general background of the four voices being highlighted in mm -hmm. Just Like Us. Mm -hmm. Um, so Laura, I'd love to hear yeah. your story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I came to the U.S. Um, at the age of seven. Um, and so my my mom, my brother, and I actually crossed the border. Um, my dad had already been in Chicago for a year. So the plan was um, he will come to Chicago, he will work, he will send money. Um, you know, we were struggling financially in Mexico. He was supporting two kids. Um, and so that was the plan, right? Come, work send money um and then my mom quickly realized that you know maybe he wasn't going to come back and that that this mm. wasn't working like that he that she couldn't have her kids growing up without a parent um and so she made the decision of like well if it makes more sense right we are going to go to the u.s we're going to go to chicago with you and so so we did so we came to chicago um we had family we still have family that that lives in chicago um and so i grew up in, in logan square i've been there for 22 years um and so i always kind of knew right i knew that i was undocumented um but when you're younger it doesn't really register how that can actually like affect you right because you're going to school you're able to do it in chicago like that's not a problem so you really don't think about um, like, how am I going to be able to find a job? How am I going to get like your license until you come to kind of like that age? Right. So I knew um, at 16, I was like, well, I know I can't get a license. Um, and then it, when it really hit me was when I was thinking about college. And so it's like, how am I going to pay for college? Right. Um, thankfully, through the activism work of a lot of people in Chicago um, or in Illinois, sorry, in Illinois, we have um, we're able to do in-state tuition. So if you live if you've lived in Illinois for three years, you're able to get in-state tuition, um, which is a huge help because there's other states where you're not able to do that. And you have to pay um, as a foreigner, as a foreign student, right, mm -hmm. which is like insane because oh you don't qualify for scholarships. You don't qualify for any sort of um, financial aid and then on top of that you have to pay um, an excessive amount oh my so so thankfully you know thankfully I like live in Illinois like I live in Chicago um, so I was able to to go to community college kind of like do my two years of general education there um, and then transfer over to Northeastern um, and finish my bachelor's degree it took me eight years um, really to kind of do it all to finish it all because it was a lot of going to school um, taking part-time classes working trying to get the money um, to pay for for classes so it took eight years years um but thankfully um when i was 23 that's when daca was announced all right and so um i as soon as i was able to do it i went ahead and i filled out those applications um i you know i um i went in to get fingerprinted um that's one of the steps that you have to do as a daca recipient um and so i was able to to get this this work permit right? and i was able to to kind of start working um around like social justice issues and kind of really, really start building um, my career. Um, I'm now a homeowner in Chicago. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of what it has been for me. Um, it has been just 
you're always trying to figure out um, how to do things, right? That like people think it's like a normal everyday, which is just like going to school, driving, even buying a house was a little bit of, of an issue, even having DACA, um, mm-hmm. right? Because like your immigration status always kind of complicates, can complicate things. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, so I'm a DACA recipient. My brother um, is a DACA recipient as well. And then my parents are undocumented. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And that's like, wow, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would love to hear about yeah. the stories being highlighted in Just Like Us. Um, so I'll give you a little summary of the play. So it's based on Helen Thorpe's book, and it's a documentary-style play. And so there's a lot of um, – it's a reading, so you don't get the full – sparkle of the tech but um in the script there's like a lot of video projections and um news articles and things that are sort of shared as the story goes on i mean it follows four latina girls in denver two of whom are documented and two who are not through young adulthood their close-knit friendships begin to unravel when immigration status dictates the girls opportunities or lack thereof when a political firestorm arises each girl's future becomes increasingly complicated Um, Just Like Us poses difficult yet essential questions about what makes us American. And so you have um, these four girls. um, There's the the one who's like really studious, really bookish, really high grades, like so excited to to go to school and, and, and be the best that she can be. You've got the one who's like good at school but she um people don't really take her seriously because she has a lot of boyfriends and things like that but she's just as intelligent and just as powerful as all these other girls um and you sort of you sort of have these these um variances within within these girls feminine identities quote unquote and as they go through school you see what happens when one person who's parents are undocumented one of their parents gets deported so what does that mean for a young woman who has younger siblings whose mother is now is now going to be deported what does that mean for her responsibility to her family um culturally and then also what is her responsibility to herself and does she keep going to school there's um really great conversations about what it means to and something that i identify with the piece even though i'm not an immigrant um this idea of like they're all going to this white college and they're the only Latinos there, which is something that I experienced. And the the constant battle between trying to be white enough to be with the white people, but also like really wanting to listen to ranchera music and having to explain that to the people that you're friends with. Um, and then the explaining to your friends who are like, stop it, you're being so embarrassing, you're being so Mexican right now. And it's like, yes. I am, in fact. Like, why is it a thing that I that I have to be embarrassed about? So you see these young people navigating this really, really complicated but really common experience of young Latino people um, in this country. And then uh, over the course of the play, uh, criminal activity is done and someone they're looking for someone who is an undocumented immigrant who committed a crime, who killed somebody. And so now the conversation is like, see, we have to get rid of these immigrants. We have to get them out of out of the city. We have to send them back, et cetera, et cetera. And these girls have to decide, am I willing to risk my anonymity for the sake of speaking out for my community? And and do I become a political activist? Do I become a voice for this movement and sort of risk the safety of me and the people that I love? Um, so that's really interesting. And then there's sort of another 
another conversation of um, sort of at the end of the play, not to like spoiler it, but you should come. So you're going to hear it anyway. <laughs> um, the At the end of the play, they've graduated from high school. And one of the girls is like, she was the one who was the big leader in this movement. She's very intelligent. She's very successful. She wants to study uh, immigration and become a lawyer. And she's like, oh, I'm so excited that I graduated. And me and my boyfriend are getting married. We're having a baby. And the woman who's been following them throughout their entire high school career, who's this white woman, who's also an immigrant, but like an Irish immigrant, so like it's different. <laughs> um, she is like, oh, like, I'm so disappointed in you. Like, you know, and it's like, what? Like, I'm so excited. Like, I graduated school. Like, I, I have someone who I'm going to get married. I'm going to be a citizen. Like, I'm going to have a kid. My kid's going to be a citizen. She was like, yeah, but like, you were up until now, you were like acting so American. And she has to call this white woman out and be like, I'm sorry. So like being educated and successful is American, but being pregnant and a wife is Mexican. Like, let's talk about what you think about who I am. Um, So there's a lot of really like, exciting sort of confrontations that happen in this piece that um, I think that people who have not in interacted with Latinos, have not interacted with immigration, um, Im immigrant communities, um, I think that they're going to have to reflect a little and think about the ways that they're thinking about the people that they spend, you know, their days in this city with. Yeah, I think everyone should have to do that. Yeah, just in general. <laughs> Check yourself. Yeah. Chicago. <laughs> well, we actually have a few minutes left. Um, so the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one-minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Sometimes it's very obvious, like a reading of uh, a mm -hmm. play reading. Um, but we also love hearing shout-outs to other folks that are doing dope work, um, as well as any self-care things, movies, books, TV shows, music that you're listening to, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to just talk about the other two organizations that'll be at the event on Saturday. So on Saturday at 5 p.m., that's March 31st uh, at 5 p.m. at the Observatory on Lincoln, we can give you the specific address if you message us on Facebook. So find the event page and we'll link to it on the podcast as well. Um, uh, Resurrection Project will be there. Mujeres Latinas en Acción will be there. Their website is www.mujereslatinasenacion.org. And they have two really great 24-hour hotlines, one of which is a domestic violence hotline, 312-738-5358, and a 24-hour Chicago rape crisis hotline, 888 293 2080. These folks will be there on Saturday and you can talk to them more about the work that they do. We will also have the Pilsen Alliance. You can find them on social media at, at Pilsen Alliance or go to their website at www.thepilsenalliance.org. Um, I hope to see you there. There's going to be a lot of really exciting young artists there sharing their work and sharing their stories. Um, and if you want to find me, you can Give me a Google. I'm Denise Yvette Serna, and I'm an artist in town. Awesome. So um, the Resurrection Project has a lot of different things kind of going on. So really the best kind of way to, f to find out about um, the different like workshops that we might have um, is through our Facebook page. So if you just look up the Resurrection Project on Facebook, um, we're really good about keeping people updated, especially with all the different changes going on around immigration policy. Um, if you also want to learn a little bit more about how 
uh, DACA recipients have benefited from the scholarship. We also have like really short videos of um, scholarship recipients right, that share their story and how um, the scholarship has positively Im impacted them and having DACA has positively impacted them. Um, if you just want more information about us, um, our phone number is 312-666-3062. Again, that's 312-666-3062. Um, and that's that's the hotline for our immigration department. Um, so if you know anybody, any community member that might have any questions regarding um, immigration, that's going to be um, the best number that you can give them. And that's one way that you could do something for um, our immigrant community. Cool. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Daniel Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are so many ways you can do that. The first is to head over to scopymag.com. That's our website. We post all of our articles there, as well as all of our podcast episodes. Um, as far as social media is concerned, we are on a quite a few places. The Our favorite place right now is probably Sounding Board, which is our Facebook group. Um, you can find it uh, by searching Sounding Board, I think. I know that some people have had problems with it, though. So if you can't, um, then shoot us an email over at scopymag at gmail.com, um, and we'll set you up with getting into that space. Or send us a Facebook message, because yeah. that'll just be, because then we'll have your Facebook. That's smart. That's why I'm here. <laughs> so that's a thing. Also, you can find us on Facebook under Scopy Magazine. We're on Instagram and Twitter and Tumblr under Scopy Mag. And you can find us on all the podcast places under Scopy Radio. And I've been saying that if you had a podcast place that you were listening to us when we were under Scopy Mag on the podcast world, um, uh, and you are it's no longer in your feed, um, do let us know. Uh, I Nudges for technological developing things like that are super helpful for me because there's a lot on my plate. Um, and I forget things. So, uh, I, I, I don't like, I'm still not 100% sure if we're on Google Play, but I don't have Google Play. It's like I don't know. So, if you, <laughs> like, if you know, uh, let me know. Um, cool. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's it. We spell Scopy Mag S C A P I M A G. And as always, I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. This time, I'm going to emphasize those for the Resurrection Project. We are going to be, um, putting something up on our Facebook to make hitting a $500 donation uh, goal easier for everyone. So if you want to look for that on our Facebook, um, please consider giving like that's such like an easy, tangible thing that you can do that will make you feel good. <laughs> it'll make uh, it'll make a DACA recipient feel good. It'll 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 just help everyone. And it's really, really easy. Um, so yeah, look for that on our Facebook. Otherwise, head to our mags, our website, scopymag.com, and consider throwing us a couple bucks. So yeah, give a little, give a lot, and if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep. <laughs>